Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole and OU Fan Podcast. Remember, it's time to dance, boys. I've got high hopes for this show. Um, we're going to kill it. Oh, it's always, always, always a good time at the, through, at the Keyhole. Uh, as you heard off the top, we're sponsored by uh, Vanessa House Brewery. And if you want to come hang out with us and just you know, just help support just for $4 a month, you get a chance to join the Patreon. Uh, and we're also giving away two tickets to the uh, OU Texas game that if you're subscribed to the $4 tier before or maybe even on October 1, um, we'll have a chance to do a drawing there. Uh, anyone who's subscribed at the time of drawing will have a chance to do that. Um, we have a chance to go down and watch uh, Sark versus uh, Venables, OU versus Texas, uh, to see if OU can continue its winning ways against Texas. And, you know, Brent can stand in, in Dallas and say, hey, Ma, I made it. Uh, now for the rest of our uh, rest of the co-hosts, uh, Alan, um, Kenny, a writer of Crimson and Cream Machine, also co-host of Through the Keyhole. And uh, just, uh, you know, it's as good as anything. How's it going on, man? Oh, man, I'm I'm doing well. You know, uh, we're recording a little bit later than usual this week, but that's good, man. Getting more time to even uh, to soak in, you know, uh, the uh, majesty of the OU Nebraska rivalry. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can, yeah, the soaking soaking in the majesty of, of that rivalry. It, it's been a long time since it's been a rivalry, but anytime you can sit around the friends and talk about OU football in Nebraska, I mean, don't threaten me of a good time. But Matt, how's it going for you? I'm doing well, man. Doing well. I got my uh, my newest booster of the COVID vaccine today, and encourage everyone to do that if you're into that if you're not then pretend i didn't say anything and just keep living your life um so <laughs> i did that today uh, me and my girlfriend got that done so yeah that's that's really all i've done today i've had nothing else going on so uh it's been an awesome day off have you had anything i mean did uh, i've got the the first round in the booster but it, nothing really bothered me did any of that bother you getting the, the vaccine or anything no uh, i mean after the i think the second dose um had a little bit of like a rough night had some mm-hmm. had some cold sweats but then it literally just lasted like a couple hours and i was good to go the next day but literally that's it and then you know the shoulder shoulder hurts a little bit whenever you know, for, yeah. it feels like someone just punched me right in the arm <laughs> but other than yeah, that the, man, nothing yeah everything's all good yeah the first shot made my armpit swell i'm assuming this is what <laughs> nodes in that area was swelling up is is a is a strange uh strange thing but anyway we're talking about stuff that happened uh two two years ago now so let's go uh, beyond just your booster uh we're going to talk a little bit about just what happened around the world of college football before we dive into a small recap of kent state uh a&m with the loss uh fantastic you love seeing it you love seeing a&m aggies go down the way they went out especially the app state um who again if people who are of a certain age remember app state went to the big house and took down michigan in 2007 question mark i think that's correct that sounds right yeah um you know we we had tvs back then and we were able to watch this stuff it wasn't just like ticker tape uh notre dame uh lost as well losing to we are marshall matthew mcconaughey big big win for him um but a big loss for matthew is uh apparently the refs uh ripping the game out of the hands of the texas longhorns uh just complete miscarriage of justice if you're to believe certain uh, texas fan sites even though Alabama has been, was the most flagged it had been in like a Nick Saban era, I believe. Um, did you guys see the Twitter um, tech, the Texas official counts bragging about the football game? 
what I saw was that, uh, you know, in true Texas fashion, it was uh, a tweet about how many people watch the game, not uh, anything about the game itself, um, which is just so, I mean, I don't know. It's very expected, isn't it? Like, that's just so on brand. Yeah, it's the whole all eyes on us thing. Like, right. Everybody wants to be us. Yeah, they hate us because they ain't us type of situation. <laughs> it, it, it's it's a, such a strange, I, I guess it, I mean, it's a, obviously it's a coping mechanism. That's what it actually is. But it's just very strange uh, to, to see that come from like the most, the, you know, the most premier known college football brand. I mean, I guess you could make a case for Notre Dame, but it, it's, Texas is, is like number one with the bullet. I mean, they're the Yankees without all the winning. Uh, but you know who they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, Florida, yeah. Florida goes down to the hated rival, uh, uh, Kentucky. Um, Kentucky's uh, head coach, Mark Stoops, um, uh, uncle to Drake, um, passes Bear Bryant for the most wins in Kentucky history, doing it while beating Kentucky's number one rival, Florida. Is that is Mark Stoops' tenure at Kentucky anyway in shape like surprising to you guys? Um, I, we, haven't, we haven't talked about this at all. I mean, he's a good football coach. It, it you know, Mike just completely wasn't good. Now, just assume it's like it's Bob got all the good coaching genes, and the other guys are just kind of the other guys. But Mark's, you know, could be up for the Nebraska job and could be good. I mean, do you guys have like anything? to think about mark or anything i mean there's no connection he's, other than he's bob's brother <laughs> he's got a he's got a fantastic job there like he gets an automatic contract extension if they just win seven games yeah um and you know he's done a pretty good job selling i think the sec brand there, kind of in the midwest because you know kentucky being kind of north there he's got mm-hmm. that entree to ohio and whatnot He's done. I mean, he's done. You can't really argue with it. He's done a really good job. He's hired fairly well, it seems like. Um, you know, I, I think that if he did decide that uh, he's going to move on after this year uh, for, I don't know, like Nebraska, like you mentioned, or something else that might come open, uh, it, sh- it it wouldn't, it certainly wouldn't shock me. But man, like that's a plum, plum job to give up. Yeah, the only thing he really has to worry about is uh, Coach Cal. I mean, that seems to be the only thing he really has to worry about at that point in time. <laughs> yeah, sniping. But we did see that at uh, at Kansas, you know, the, the the fighting between the the two programs. And, you know, maybe that does become something unattainable for him. But, yeah, if you just win six games, that's all you got to do. <laughs> and, and, and you're good to go. Um, and then the question I want to present to you guys to talk about the greater world of college football, and we may have some more meat on this bone, Um are we just living in the University of Georgia's world, and do we just have to figure out how to accept the bulldog and learn to love it? I don't. I, I wouldn't go that far. Um, and I, I only say. I mean, I know everybody. Everybody is down on Alabama right now. I get it. Um, their receiving core looked uh, very pedestrian, and you know, a lot. Of, they were very undisciplined. You know, they, they kind of got out of there, out of Texas, with they you know escape with their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. To me, though, having seen we've seen this enough times from Nick Saban, like that's the kind of thing where, like, I have a feeling after that game he was just elated. Like they get, they got the win, and on top of that, now he has motivation to you know tell them how how vulnerable they are, how you know to uh, block out all the clutter that he likes to talk about. I feel like Alabama still got plenty of room to grow. And uh, man, I mean, Bryce Young is so good. He looked, I mean, he was nails in that second half. Um, uh, you know, if his receivers let him down a few times, but I, I don't know. I think that the, uh, I, I still think there's a lot of room to grow there. What about you, Matt? Is it, is it just Georgia of a bullet number one? There's no chance everyone else to just go home, fold it up. It's, it's the Golden State Warriors, <laughs> uh, you know, just like everyone start tanking. Yeah, no, man. Everyone, uh, everyone has a chance, man. In college football, it, it doesn't matter. Any given Saturday, like the the old cliche, endless. Like Alabama, they had the most penalties they've ever had under Nick Saban in a game. They were just so mm-hmm. undisciplined. It looked like it. Honestly, I know they said all the right things throughout the week. Like any Nick Saban team does. Like they don't give out the rat poison. Basically, like they don't. They don't give out the the newspaper headlines like, Oh, we respect Texas. We're looking forward to this matchup, but you know, like behind the scenes, they're talking, they're like, 
yeah, we're going to absolutely embarrass these guys. Like they just finished five and seven. Like we're going to embarrass them on their own floor and on their own field. Sorry. And it, it really just felt like that to me. Like they just, they thought they could show up and just skull drag Texas, which we all thought was going to happen. I thought it was going to happen. I'm if I was a betting man, I would have taken Alabama minus 20 and a half. Like I thought it was going to happen, but um, that's a, that's the thing, man. Like Quinn Ewers looked better than, like than expected really. And uh, then he gets hurt and then they just kind of play stall ball really basically like with uh, again, getting help from uh, Alabama, just shooting themselves in the foot time and time again with those penalties. Like, I don't know. So I'm not down on Alabama. I, I still feel bad for whoever Alabama has this week because I'm mm-hmm. sure they're going to have a hell week of practice um, and just ready to unleash the fury, basically like like Mitch does on, on the movie Road Trip. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the things they get now this week. They get uh, Louisiana Monroe, which is what one of the got to be one of the worst teams in yeah. uh, in the in the FBS level. So uh, not fun for them. And I'm still uh, I'm still not really out on Ohio State yet either. I'm I'm still not out. They have they have too much talent on offense. And then uh like we saw in that Notre Dame game, like Jim Knowles, man, he just adjusts in the second half and just like puts the clamps on you. So I'm I'm not out on any of those guys. I'm still under the impression that I don't know. I, I still I feel this way sometimes. It's just I don't feel like anyone's just that good. Georgia can be is good, that's for sure. But everyone mm-hmm. has their flaws. Like everyone has has their flaws that can be taken advantage of uh, any given Saturday. So I, I'm not yeah. just ready to throw in the towel for just Georgia just yet. Yeah, I, I, the, the teams we're mentioning. I mean, we're, we're mainly mentioning you know, Alabama and Ohio State. I mean, Bama can round into it, but I just don't know. I just don't know if you can just find top end wide receiver talent, you know, like midway through the season or something like that. I mean, and then your your offensive coordinator is Bill O'Brien. Like, I don't know if you're getting the most creativity out of that for that part of it. And then Ohio State, you know, once you start seeing more games, and, I, I, you know, I know you're not supposed to do the transitive property and all that type of stuff, but – and Notre Dame played them tight, and then Notre Dame goes and <laughs> gets pushed around by Marshall, and it's now it's all of a sudden, wait a second. Now it's a letdown game for Notre Dame, obviously. Um, but, but still, that happens. And then I start, you know, like a fool. I was texting some friends. I was like, hey, I want to watch the – uh Hawaii Michigan game. I'm a sucker for Michigan. It, they're they're a dumb football team, but I'm a sucker for them. I like Jim. <laughs> I like a, I like the dumb hardball stuff. And I was watching their offense. I'm like, man, I really love this offense. I'm, I like the power option stuff. I like doing these things. And I'm in my head going like, could Michigan just push them around again? <laughs> and then it's just Ohio State has to take a loss or something like that. And I don't know. The only team I could see this running the table. This is Georgia. Uh, just from what they put out on the field and what they're going to likely do. I mean, who do they play? Don't they play a real football team? They have South Carolina this week. Yeah, they're going to murder Spencer Rattler uh, <laughs> um, in, in a way that's just, it's not going to be fun for him. But that's um, my thing too. Again, with Georgia, like I'm not even sure how good Oregon is. I don't. I didn't think that they were that good. Like, I mean, that's I don't true. Know. They're like OU, yes, OU beat them in the Alamo Bowl without like their full team, but. That was basically like what they were bringing back, and I just I just did not buy into the to the Oregon hype to start the year. I like Dan Lanning. I think he'll have success, you know, especially with the the uh, the wallet that Phil Knight has for recruiting. Like he'll he'll have success, but just with this Oregon team, I did not see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Alan. Oh no, I just the other thing too though about like about Georgia, like I don't know. I mean, who's going to really test them? Like no between one. now and the SEC championship, I I just I don't see it. Okay, maybe maybe Tennessee, um, just because they can, you know, I mean they they Hypo can throw that offense into overdrive. They have some they have some a lot of good uh, skill talent, um, but you know I mean man to man, they just don't match up all that well with Georgia, you know, top to bottom. But and then you know the the funny thing too is like. And this is kind of where, like, I always kind of bristle when people start talking about how how awesome football is in the SEC. You know, everyone starts saying, "Oh, well, now look, I mean, Bama's Bama's vulnerable." And I was thinking, like, seriously, how many teams like 
that they're going to see between now and December can just roast their corners the way Texas could with Ewers and uh, Worthy. Like who else? Who else could do that? That they that they'd see between now and then again. Maybe Tennessee, but I mean otherwise, like uh, you know, and it just gives them so much time to kind of round into form. Yeah, Tennessee is the. I was uh, Tennessee is the one I had kind of circled and said, if someone's going to do it in the East, it's going to be Tennessee. Uh, I personally don't think, well, I I guess you could talk yourself into Tennessee or Kentucky. One of those is being good enough to on a puncher's chance type of a thing, making a swing at them. But uh, regardless, uh, I think Georgia is in a place there. Now they do play Kent State, and we do know they can keep an offense from scoring for almost an entire <laughs> half. So maybe, um, maybe they give them some issues. Uh, and and now that'll be our segue. Uh, Alan, you you wrote a, a pretty good article on the Crimson and Cream Machine. I suggest everyone to 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 read that and kind of look at what OU how they uh, were able to adapt and uh, adjust uh, on the offensive line. Um, we all saw what happened. What happened was that basically OU was shut out. Uh, early scored way late in the half and then rattled off, I think 26 straight points um, to basically just make it into a uh, garbage time, like within what, eight minutes of the second half. Alan, what did OU do? Like, what was the big change that you saw that you wrote about that, that allowed OU OU's offense the defense never needed to change, but how allowed the offense to, to start kind of getting traction in the second half? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it, for starters, Kent State was attacking really hard whenever OU tried, like, even hinted at doing anything horizontal. So swing passes, I mean, they were crashing through those alleys between, you know, between the uh, tackle box and the receivers. Um, you, they were, when they read run, when they read run, when they keyed in on that, they were coming really, really hard. They uh, were doing some funky stuff with their run fits too, where they were using uh, their corner essentially as a, uh, you know, a force defender there on the edge, uh, you know, especially if OU was going towards the boundary. Um, And that, you know, that makes it kind of hard because if you, you know, if you're, if you're doing it that way, you know, that means you're essentially your offensive tackle has to detach. And that, that in this case, in the first half, uh, when they were doing it, it was uh, Anton Harrison and has to get out there and, uh, you know, block, a block a guy who's faster and more athletic than, than he is. And uh, you know, you also lose your, some of your ability there to double team. Um, And so it just, it was gumming up the run game from what I could tell. Um, and then I think that, you know, they made they made a few adjustments in the second half. One of them was just that they started instead of uh, going horizontal, they just started running hitch routes and uh, taking making easy throws. Um, it felt like and, and Levy mentioned this on Monday. He got he was mm-hmm. real stubborn in the first half trying to get the run game going. And I can't tell how much of that is, you know, like kind of this deal where it's early in the season. So, he's you know, he's kind of sending a message like you guys are going to have to get this right. Um, but they started, you know, and, uh, they started, they started doing more, uh, downfield throws, uh, or, you know, kind of those short, shorter routes, not going side to side. And when they were running, uh, outside zone, they actually kept, um, blockers in and instead of trying to, um, go and block that. Uh, corner who was coming to uh, as a force defender, they actually left blockers in to uh, either go man to man on man against some of the uh, tacklers there in the run box or um, help double team and were relying on the backs to just make a move and get loose. So you saw that on Marcus Major's touchdown, for example. Corner comes in trying to tackle him one on one and uh, Major shakes him, goes right around the corner and scores. Um, so, it, you know. It's the kind of thing where you don't want to have to see adjustments <laughs> against a team like Kent State. You know, you want to be able to get out there and have the, and run your base kind of offense and and make it work. Um, but you know, I guess the the good news is it's like oh, you got a little less vanilla maybe in the second half would be the way to put it, and uh, didn't have any problem moving the ball. Yeah, I agree with I, I agree with that sentiment that I mean it's Kent State. Oh, you should be able to out talent them regardless of the of of the positions and stuff. But I, I think as we've seen the last few years, especially as OU fans, that three three five Iowa State defense is just it's the spread. 
I mean, it's such an equalizer uh, when it comes to, to defenses defending. I mean, you, it's just really hard to understand who's actually in the box. How many are they sending? How many, what, where's the run keys coming from? Um, that umbrella type coverage is just very difficult to run against. I mean, I remember just screaming at the TV the last few years, like just run the damn football, <laughs> but it's, it's, you don't know who's in the box. You don't know what's happening in uh, the way, you know, and maybe the way to attack it is that we saw in that second half is no, you can't just run into it. You have to back them off. You know, we have to throw yeah. and, and get these guys off of it. Now, one, and I mentioned it on this podcast was that, you know, with the bear raid, it's the whole hit them where they're not. You know, we're going to run into light boxes. We're going to pass into, you know, light, light coverages. And like, that's just how it is. And so I actually, I actually enjoyed hearing, let me say, I got stubborn because I kept just trying, like, I knew it wasn't working, but I was like, we're going to run into it. And it's the whole idea of, in my mind, it's again, talking, I was talking about Michigan earlier, a little bit of caveman football of, we're going to set the edge and we're going to run. Like, I don't care what they're doing. We're going to do our thing. It didn't work out, which is troubling, <laughs> but I do like seeing that mentality from Levy of saying, we're going to prove a point right here. Um, now, hopefully it doesn't end up costing OU <laughs> somewhere down the line. Hopefully it's a learning lesson for Levy. Um, but I mean, it, it, is that, is that something you guys, I mean, is that something you fear? Like, is, is this now a, we've seen him now get stuck in a rut of I'm just going to run into this front over and over again. Is Kent state enough of a learning experience or is this easy for a coach to chalk up and say, ah, oh, it's Kent state. We still won by 30. I mean, is there anything that we can think about how this game was called first half to second half? Well, I mean, I look at it with Levy. I think he could afford to be stubborn in the sense mm -hmm. that uh, he had, you know, massive personnel advantage here. And we saw how that played out in the second half. Um, so I don't necessarily worry about about that part of it, but you, but I mean the RPO offense is an is essentially just a different version of the triple option, right? Yeah. And so, you know, when defenses learn how to kind of manipulate the uh, the reads that the quarterbacks are getting, then you know it makes it hard, just makes it harder to uh, to know what what the right call is. I mean, and you know, it takes longer to uh, make a read, or you know, you, you're making the wrong reads. Like that's my that's kind of been my one major kind of concern about about you know so playing such an, an RPO heavy style. Uh, so you know, I think maybe going forward. In some of these cases, I mean, they were running lots of RPOs in uh, in that first half. Maybe you know, <laughs> find looking at okay, you know, at telling Gabriel, hey, you know, look at that ten yard cushion between Marvin Mims and the safety. Like, just throw, just signal him and throw a hitch route. You know what I mean? <laughs> Instead of trying to uh, figure out how to option these guys. Well, I think yes, I think that's right. There's there's, there's two ways of doing that. Yes, identifying even quicker. Of knowing, hey, we just have it right there. No need for it because, I mean, obviously with the RPO, you're trying to make that decision just before the ball snapped or like just right after, or maybe something we can see Levy is doing that delayed mesh point like what a Wake Forest does, you know, because then uh, if you if you can hold it in the running back's belly for another you know full two seconds, the defense has to make a decision. <laughs> it's not just a snap snap type thing. So there's two ways of going about that, as you mentioned. Just say, hey, we have an advantage. Just throw to the advantage. <laughs> don't mess around. Or, you know, I, I don't know if Lebby's ever shown that kind of delayed mesh or anything like that. If no one knows what I'm talking about, go watch some Wake Forest stuff. It's very strange. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's anxiety inducing because the guys are like holding yes. that mesh point. <laughs> it just seems like an eternity. Yeah, Stanford was doing some of that over the weekend too. And you can really, really punish an overly aggressive defense if you can hold that decision making point even longer, because it just it causes them to stop. And then you get then you then as an offense regain the advantage of saying now we're deciding what's going to happen. Um yeah, I mean that was cool. I mean, I think that was like I said, a, a great, a great matchup of, of what OU did. And really the only thing they did was basically just change the blocking scheme. Once that happened, OU was off to the races. Uh mm. so that was good to hear. Good to see Bill and Levy do that. Um, but 
I'm going to say, if I've got a couple of OU friends who are kind of like, hey, what's up? Why is the offensive line taking so long to jail again? What's up with Bill? I was told for five years he's the best position offensive line coach in the college football, but it's not playing through. Is it just another year away from OU's O-line getting back up to snuff? Or do you think you're going to be able to round into it as the season goes on? Matt, do you have anything? <laughs> Man, um, I would like to say that getting Wanya Morris back helps but I just don't know how much it helps fix all of the issues. Right. You know, um, I'm kind of at a point now where I would like to, I don't even know if he is a left guard, but I would put Savion bird at left guard. Uh, just cause I think we might've talked about it, but he's just the most, he's the most talented guy that you could put there. That's not already on the, the starting line. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I have not, liked what I've seen from McCade Matoyer yet. Like he's uh, a little stiff at sometimes, um, a little upright uh, a lot of the time. And I don't know. I, I would just rather, I get the experience. I get him playing a ton of power five football, um, but it was for a bad Cal team. It was, it was for a bad Cal team. It's not like he's coming over from Oregon or hell, even USC. Like it's not like he's coming over from those, from that type, those types of schools. So um, I would just honestly, it's time to put talent out there. I don't care if, if Savion Bird's learning on the fly. If he can just like beat someone, like win his one on one, like I'm just putting my most talented guy out there. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I think it is it is a little worrisome. Obviously, I mean the um, not being able to get a whole lot of push against uh, Kent State. I know they're bringing some uh, some other stuff, like some corners off the edge and all that stuff, but uh, is a little concerning. My hand is my hand is hovering the panic button for sure. One oh, thing, I, one thing, yeah, one thing for me, uh, just like in in the short run, one potential option here I think is to instead of playing Savion Bird at left guard from a tower, maybe giving Wanya Morris a look there because Guyton has. I feel like Guyton has played fairly well yeah. at right tackle i mean you know he looked he looked raw and rough early in that first game against utah but like i thought that moving back over to the right side i think he looked a little bit more comfortable uh did some good things against kent state so that that's one thing to consider um i don't know i don't know i just yeah i can't i don't know if this is a beaten bow thing or not i I tend to think that if OU let him go, uh, he'd be snapped up very quickly by someone Instantly. else, yeah. um, which is the kind of thing that makes me makes me wonder, uh, you know, if it, if it's more a matter of just getting everything together. I mean, you know, they're to be fair, they completely changed the blocking scheme <laughs> this That's year, and true. they you know implemented a new strength and conditioning program, all that stuff. Um, I, I, if, if people, if it gets to the end of the year and they haven't been better, uh, you know, that I'd be willing to kind of consider, I, but I, I still think I'm, I'm still kind of with, it. I mean, they, in my mind, they really would need that line would have to just absolutely fall apart for me yeah. to think they need to make a big change. Yeah. It's also just like offensive line uh, to a certain degree, I think, to a certain degree, I think there's only a handful of coaches and position coaches that actually matter more than physical maturation of uh, <laughs> 19-year-olds, uh, especially because you're talking about, you know, running backs and wide receivers and DBs. How, how you know how are they going to grow and, you know, thicken up and, you know, change their body? But then you start think, talking about six, eight, 300-pound 17-year-olds. You have almost no idea. <laughs> uh, they're, they're complete freak of nature, to be honest with you. Right, how, they're yeah. gonna, how they're going to evolve and, and change their bodies and can move. I mean, I, I've got friends. Um, it's weird thinking that now I'm 34. I, man, I just I just looked into the void. Um, I've got friends who have kids in high school who are big and tall, and they just look weird when they move. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like um, it's it it's very difficult to to see how they uh, even do that, even like. Uh, I was at the uh, Chiefs training facility, uh, Humble Brick, and <laughs> just watching Orlando Brown just walk around. It's like, 
you don't look like you walk like a normal human. <laughs> like, how, yeah. like how can you be the most, one of the most athletic people in the world when it just looks so weird? So I, I think that's probably some of it. It's that some of these guys just didn't grow the way they thought they were. And it just takes time. And those best offensive lines kind of come in waves. Like everyone kind of gets better together type of a thing. Yeah. You, the one thing that that does seem to be missing from this offensive line, from what I can tell, is they don't have any nasty, man. Yep. Like, I, I I get it. You know, nobody wants, you know, the hothead offensive lineman who's, who's roughing guys up after the play, costing Ooh, 15 yards or whatever. But, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, but like, man, it would really help if one of these guys would play with a mean streak. I just – I haven't seen that. It's not that they – I mean, a lot of them, like, you know – like Chris Murray, I think is playing really well, technically proficient, but he's not. And he had, he actually had a couple uh, in the last game where, I mean, he blew some guys up, but you know, I mean, aside from that, who is it that's out there just, you know, kind of fist fighting? <laughs> you know? I mean, they need some more, they need some more dudes like, like that. I think. Yeah. I think as a, uh, as red dirt sport would call them uh, just a bunch of furniture movers, just big guys who can just move people around, but, that's kind of about it. I mean, I would I would love to have a Cody Ford. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just doesn't even have to be that great of a guy. Just a dude who is just mean as hell and looks like he would try to like I mean, just I mean, look at that the was it the twenty is it the twenty eighteen team uh at Texas in the Big Twelve Championship? Or they just beat the hell out of that defensive end for uh for Texas and you could tell they made it personal. <laughs> I just don't see anyone on the O-line currently having that mean streak, as you mentioned. And that's something I didn't quite think about. Yeah. And I don't know where you get that. Like if that's on beaten Boda, you know, I don't know, starve his guys or something like that. <laughs> make, make him rabbit or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, I mean, that part of it, I, they got to find some dogs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. We need the, we need the CT scan. There's no dog in them. <laughs> <laughs> None at all. Yeah. And now we're going to turn our eyes to Lincoln, Nebraska, and uh, enter this house of memories. Scott Frost is gone. Uh, he's out. They've uh, now uh, – I cannot remember the interim head coach's uh, name. It's Mickey um, Joseph, Joseph, I think, right? Mickey yeah. Joseph. Uh, the first ever if, – if I've read Twitter right, uh, the first ever African-American uh, sports coach in the all of Nebraska's history, <laughs> which is – uh, always shocking when you hear something like that, <laughs> but then once you think about it, it doesn't seem as shocking. Uh, but he has a chance now to uh, prove 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 a point uh, and and try to try to turn this season around at least in some way, shape, or form. I do not believe that's what's going to happen. Uh, but let's get the narrative out of the way. Um, is this West Virginia? Was that the two thousand eight, uh, two thousand nine? What's the West Virginia Fiesta Bowl game? Uh, what 2007 2007 yeah, season the, yeah. yeah the bill bill stewart is this just that game is it being teed up the uh interim coach is, is about to ride in to slay the dragon and, and move forward with a, a head coaching a job that seems to be the narrative out there yeah i mean i don't know i don't think mickey joseph is going to get this job uh down the line um i but you know, I know we, we talked about it on the paywall podcast, actually, about, you know, why did Nebraska do this now? You know, they could have saved seven and a half million dollars just waiting two weeks. Um, and, you know, I think it was the founder who joked, you know, oh, well, they did this to get fired up for OU. And in speaking with uh, <laughs> or, or pardon me, not speaking, I was listening to uh, Split Zone Duo over the weekend. They did a kind of an emergency show talking about this and. Richard Johnson, Stephen Godfrey both had, you know, reached out to their sources. And I mean, what they were hearing was, yeah, actually that had a little something to do with it in the sense that trying out there and watching that team getting blasted by OU would have been, you know, just devastating for the fan base. And, you know, it was kind of just a deal where even though it cost them, they were ready to, uh, you know, get, uh, just move on from frost and so i i do think there's something a little bit to that in terms of trying to uh get a little bit of a at least a short-term bump for the sooners coming in yeah i think solid verbal was talking about something similar uh at least i believe so but it was it was just the idea that uh um 
the, the Nebraska AD, whose his name is Trey. Is it Trey? Trey Albert? Trev Alberts. Trev. Trev Alberts. Trev, yeah. It's a weird, Trev's a weird name. Just finish it. It's Trevor. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just more about like, it's the respect. It's kind of like the respect Nebraska has for this game and for its boosters and all that type of stuff. It's like having the head, having the lame duck head coach walk into this, which it's supposed to be. OU Nebraska, you know, it's like it's supposed to be this big, big thing. And but you have this sideshow over here of like, oh, there's a coach you're gonna fire in two weeks. <laughs> like it's like yeah. it's completely overshadowing this whole I'm assuming, I mean, obviously Nebraska has a ton of money, but it's a big fundraising weekend for them. It's OU Nebraska. You're you're able to you're able to bring them all back out. And you basically everyone you'd bring out would be saying, When are we firing this guy? <laughs> so yeah, go ahead and do it. Sure, there's going to be some level of like we're going to hype everyone up, you know, win one, you know, win one for Mickey type of thing. But I think it was probably more to do with you need to get on the job market first. We saw that last year. That this is it's just accelerating. Um, and <laughs> some dude just walked, you know, a couple boosters probably just said, "This is it. How much money do I need? <laughs> How much money yeah, do I, I need?" To I, I'm tired cushions? of watching this. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is over. You know, um, I, I guess to lean on that is. If you were if you were Trev, if you decided to shorten your name in that way, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm trying to get some Nebraska Hate Week stuff going on. Uh, who do you hire if you could hire? Don't say to hire anyone, but who who is a realistic hire that that either one of you would go after that would accept the job in your opinion? Um, man, I think my my top three choices are all from the Big Twelve. Nice. I'm going Matt Campbell. Chris Kleiman is probably my number one. If you could somehow get him from, from K-State, I would go Chris Kleiman, number one. Matt Campbell, two. Honestly, I'd go Lance Leipold, number three. They won't do that because they think they're they're above hiring a Kansas head coach, but I think that he would do a great job at, at Nebraska. I think if they get any one of those three, that would be awesome. I don't see Dave Aranda going to Nebraska because he's going to get the LSU job when Brian Kelly gets fired like <laughs> in here, maybe this year, maybe probably yeah. next year. Um, so Dave Aranda will probably get the LSU job if they're smart, if LSU is smart, but I, I'm not accusing them of being smart considering they just hired Brian Kelly. So uh, no, th- those would be my top three choices for Nebraska. Yeah. My number one, I would actually take Leopold number one i think that's mm-hmm. who i would go with but i i can understand if, if that would be a hard sell because it's possible kansas might win one more game this year or what have you you know right. I mean? they, that team that program is i mean when you compare where it was to where it's going i think you can make a pretty good case so um i think if i would you know if i was looking in the assistant ranks i might be willing to take a chance on uh jim leonard from wisconsin uh, that defense is really, really well coached. He understands kind of the terrain and the territory. And, you know, I mean, you know, it, uh, as boring as we might feel with like Wisconsin is <laughs> in, in execution, um, they've clearly figured out something there. It's kind of similar to OU in the sense that uh, it's, it's kind of a, a program now, you know what I mean? Ever since Barry Alvarez was there. Um, where they can kind of just churn through guys. And and Leonard is the kind of guy who, you know, I think would be at least worth worth consideration. Yeah, I think that's – I think uh, a name we mentioned earlier, if I could hire anyone in looking at how someone was able to take a program of lesser – you know, potential lesser talent and was able to get them to compete against the other big guys in the conference, um, I think you would have to look at Mark Stoops. You'd have to call him. Uh, at this point oh, yeah. in time, he probably says no, but I mean, I think he, he honestly says no. Um, you have to call Matt Campbell just because I think it's just, it's probably Matt Campbell's last year t- of being this kind of hot, kind of a hot name. His name has cooled off quite a bit, in my opinion, um, just in the media side. I'm sure in the AD's offices, his name is still pretty very high on some of this stuff. But the other type of thing would be, now it's too, it's too late to do it now because they got hired on. Uh, but the Kentucky uh, OC that went to the the Rams, I believe. Oh, um, Cohen? Yeah, something like that where you sit there and say, how can we build an offense that is something that we can, can work? <laughs> you know, some, it's something that we can work and we can we know we can manufacture offenses with it. I mean, 
it, it need to be someone who could say, and that's one of the reasons why I like Matt, uh, uh, Matt Campbell and Mark Stoops is they can just show you the blueprint of saying, here's how we get to respectability. We play this style of offense. We play this. And I, Cause I, as you mentioned, Wisconsin has the map. Here's how you do it. Wisconsin, mm. you get all these corn fed boys. Surely Nebraska can find some corn fed, corn fed guys and, you know, run the football, but Nebraska, let's turn that. Can Nebraska, what is, what can Nebraska be moving forward in 2020 in, in this modern era of football? Can they be Wisconsin and just take turns winning that side of the division with them to lose to Ohio state? Can they be better, better than that? Or can they even get up to that Wisconsin level again? Is it, is it, you know, are we looking at the last throws of a once great program? Man, I mean, I hope we're not looking at at that kind of situation, uh, but it, it really, uh, there shouldn't be a big gap between Nebraska and, and, and a program yeah. like Wisconsin, right? I mean, uh, you know, I I, do, I think the other thing to keep in mind, though, and this is, uh, you know, kind of the downside of some of the changes that are coming with college football. Like, for example, if they do away with divisions in the Big Ten it's possible teams like Nebraska and Wisconsin are never going to see that conference championship game ever again, man. Like, so, you know, but like, if you can put together, I mean, I know that they used to fire both, they fired both for going nine and three every year. But I mean, I think that if you can get back to that kind of level, um, you know, that's, that's something to shoot for right now. And the funny part is, is I think that people look at Nebraska fans as being, you know, really um, irrational about all this, but I actually think that at this point they kind of understand the lay of the land yeah. and they'd be willing to go there, you know? Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I don't think there's any crazy Nebraska fan. I mean, obviously it's crazy fans, but I don't, I think the majority of Nebraska fans get it. They mm-hmm. understand where they, where they are right now. Um, and honestly, I think, I mean, I, I don't want to turn, I'll keep turning the lens, uh, to to what happened over the uh, over the the winter and, and spring at, at to OU, but the fa- how OU's fans reacted is is probably you know it, I I I'm not trying to say here. Um, it's I, I don't time know. to bring Bo Pelini back. Back. Is what you're it's, saying. It's, it's they need to bring, bring Bo Pelini. It's just time to bring him back. It's no, I do to, think I, for just, for Nebraska too. I do think because I mean when they're in their heyday. I mean you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. They're recruiting California and Texas like crazy. Florida also in yeah. Florida. Like, yeah. so I do think USC, UCLA, the West coast being kind of, I don't know, in play now again, and Nebraska kind kind of being the most Western of the, of the big 10 out there that could help. It's just that, that move from the big 12, man, you, you don't have any Texas recruiting ground. You don't have anything yeah. really that you used to. And now you're going up trying to recruit Ohio and Michigan and, all these guys against Ohio state and Michigan. And it's just that they're already like firmly set up. And I don't know. I think that's more what, what did it for them. Yeah. Those heydays guys were a bunch of local boys. Yeah. For their, for their big people stuff. <laughs> and then they'd go to, you know, Texas, California and Florida for all their speed uh, and take care of it that way. I mean, I, I can't, I can't remember what state, state uh, Amon Green was from and stuff like that. But I mean, you went and I'm got, you, with Florida, you, I think. Yeah. Florida, yeah. You imported those guys into the program, but you have to be able to make your offensive line and defensive line. Those have to be within your 300 mile radius. And you have, you know, your sports and conditioning uh, programs. Yeah. yeah. That was the other thing is they had like a state of the art uh, performance enhancement uh, program. There. <laughs> yeah. So. Protein. It's a lot of, a lot of good protein. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. This raw beef. Uh, yeah, back in the day. You know, one guy that might be available soon is Matt Rule. Um, maybe true. he has his job and maybe he has his eyes going a little bit higher in the pecking order. But man, it seems like, you know, I mean, he could maybe mine what Big Ten's trying to do on the East Coast there. Uh, that's yeah. an interesting idea. Yeah, Matt Rule. So you're saying Baker can't save Matt Rule's job. Wild. Baker hater. <laughs> Look at this. Everyone, let's flag his account. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, but you talked about, uh, Matt was talking about taking yourself away from these recruiting grounds. I mean, you know, Colorado went to the pack to be closer to what they thought was a recruiting ground for them. And it's just been a complete massive mistake for the program. So, I mean, it, it's hard to know. 
I don't know. It, it, recruiting is just so fickle. Like you have to, if you don't have it within a, a three hour, four hour drive of your campus, it's very fickle and you can come in and out of it. Um, you know, Nebraska was able to keep the machine rolling for so long because the SEC took forever to integrate, took forever to, you know, start modernizing this stuff. Uh, you know, LSU was a basket case until Saban got there and like really basically locked down that state and made sure all the boosters I mean, then he did the same thing in Alabama, you know, which Alabama obviously didn't need the help that LSU did. Um, but it's just a different level of football now. I mean, the the cultural and economic factors that were at play during Nebraska's heyday just don't exist anymore. Um, and that's, you know, that's it's it's sad to see that, but I think they can get back to nine and three, and they get back to being respectable in bowl games and things like that uh, fairly easily. But instead of like a Praying for their for their <laughs> praying for their eventual resurrection. Uh, what does OU need to do to blow this team out of the water? Uh, <laughs> and for me to, um, you know, keep keep the hype train going. I mean, uh, what do we think? What do we think is going to happen this game? And what does OU need to kind of watch out for? I mean, me, I'm terrified of this game. <laughs> I've said it. I know you said summer. it, uh, but. You know, because like I said, I do think that there'll be a certain level of enthusiasm there. I, you know, I, I was watching actually right before we came on, since I knew we were going to be, you know, talking a lot of Nebraska, I watched their game against Georgia Southern and, you know, what I saw, I, first of all, like special teams wise, they're putrid, like that is, that is a dumpster fire. So if they, they have to get that cleaned up, but like offensively, I mean, they were doing some good things. Uh, I thought that Casey Thompson played pretty well. Yep. Um, you know, he avoided turnovers against Georgia Southern. He they spread they spread the field very well. I mean, you know, it was uh, you know Mark Whipple who did a, a solid job last year uh, moving the ball with uh, you know guys like Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison when he was the offensive coordinator at Pitt versus Clemson and Brent Venables' defense. So he has an idea of what he wants to do. I mean, you know, I think. If you're if you're in Nebraska, you, you know you, you want to take those guys and in, in, as opposed to last year when you were trying to slow it down, I think this time you want to make it a shootout. Yeah, I think that's what you want to do. You want, I think, it, and that's, I don't know, if, uh, yeah, that, that's what you want to. If you're in Nebraska, you want to start warp speeding this stuff and say, hey, mm-hmm. let's see what happens. <laughs> let's, right. let's just let's just roll it out here. I mean, what else do we have to lose <laughs> to, to to that certain degree? Uh, but I mean, just looking at their offense and stuff. It just doesn't seem to have pop. Now I'm, I'm just looking at the catches and stuff. I mean, they, they've got some guys. I think their highest guy is at well, 30 yards a catch, but only four catches. But 18 yards a catch seems to be kind of like the top end of that stuff. Uh, and and the rush and the rushing attack is uh, not that great uh, uh, overall. And then Casey does play well, but man, we've seen him play well, but. It's four touchdowns, three interceptions at that point in time. He's got adjusted yard per average of 8.4. Uh, does not seem to be kind of elongating the ball down the field in the passing game. Um, it just seems like a type of offense that Brent Venables, uh, Brent Venables' defense is going to want to eat up uh, to to a certain degree if, if you can't stretch them over the top. Uh, to me, it's, it's, it's just can – this is the first offense – because they put up points. Uh, it's the first offense, the t- defensive line. We can now start seeing, okay, this is what they, how they perform against a, you know, a, a power five uh, conference offensive line. And, and uh, is Grimes the guy? Is Grimes who he is shown so far to be versus completely, completely outmatched uh, opponents? I mean, that that's probably the, uh, the two units I'm looking at is seeing how Nebraska is trying to handle the OU defensive line. And then seeing what sort of success and what sort of havoc um, uh, OU can do. Because through two games, OU's already at 24 tackles for loss and nine sacks. It's a pretty good pace uh, <laughs> through two games. Uh, last year, I think they were at 16 and six. So uh, out, you know, outperforming them, outperforming last year's uh, teams by a certain percentage. Obviously, opponent matters there. Um, is that kind of your key matchup? Just offense versus the defense side of it and seeing if OU's defense can stay the course of who, who they've been. Uh, or are you, or are you thinking this, this is a get right game for the offense? Cause you can score on Nebraska. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I'll be honest. There were times watching that Nebraska defense against Georgia Southern where, I mean, I was thinking, okay, these guys have had it with Frost. Like, they want, they're trying to get him fired or something. I mean, like, <laughs> it was – it was, dude, it was bad giving up, like, 40-yard runs on third and 20, you know, on, like, a simple draw play. There was one – there was one time when uh, they had – they had uh, Georgia Southern in a third and five, and the corner – it lines up to play press man on uh, their outside receiver. He reaches across the line before the ball is snapped and taps the receiver, just gives him a first down. I was just like, what are these guys doing? And the thing is, is that I thought their defense was actually pretty solid last year. So like, like what I want to know about the Nebraska defense is does this coaching change adjust their attitude even more so than the offensive side of the ball, because that, it, you know, if not, OU is going to have a field day. But I mean, if, if it was a matter of just not, not being right with frost, you know what I mean? Like that's a big, that's a, that could make a big difference. What, what about you, Matt? You thinking on what's your, what's your, what's your story of the game? Um, To be honest, I think, I think OU's defensive line should have a field day. I'm I'm not impressed with Nebraska's O line. Um, no, I'm. I like Nebraska's skill talent. I like wide receiver, tight end. I think Grant, the running back's really good. Casey Thompson, I'm I I'm actually fine with because he's just like a college quarterback. You know what you're going to get. Basically, he's not going to do anything. Uh, he's not going to do that much to kill you. But I mean, he still could throw some up for grabs. But uh, then I mean he can throw he can he can throw around a little bit if you give him if they give him time he can throw it around find some open guys and their skill position guys uh, are good enough to get open but I, I just think man with what I've I've seen just bits and pieces of Nebraska's games their offensive line does not look good at all OU should be able to uh, get a ton of push yeah. and, uh, for sure stop the run um, against Nebraska and then yeah as far as defensively I mean. I think Ryan Chapman, friend of the pod, um, mm-hmm. go follow yeah. him from All Sooners and uh, 1077 The Franchise. He, uh, he the flagship. I was listening, yeah, flag, OU flagship station, shout out. Uh, I was listening to his show the other day. He, uh, <laughs> he said, All right, guess where Nebraska's defense ranks in total defense after three games they've played? They've played Northwestern, North Dakota, and Georgia Southern. Offensive juggernauts, all three. All three. Their total defense is. 124th out of 131 possible. Oh, you should be able to, oh, you should be fine. Oh, you should be, be able to move the ball offensively. And if they don't, if they run into the same problems that they had against Kent state um, with the offensive line as well, and not be able to run the ball, then I, my hand will probably be pressing the, the panic button and not just hovering over it. Yeah, so we're, I, I did mention OU currently has 24 sacks, uh, 24 tackles for loss and nine sacks. Uh, just doing quick uh, math. Now, remember, I went to Hugo uh, High School and graduated from South Carolina State University, so counting numbers isn't my best. Uh, but through three games, Nebraska has nine tackles for loss and two sacks. I don't know if they're getting much push <laughs> unless unless Allen's right. They had totally they were shaving points uh, and they were. Uh, or maybe they're trying to help Scott Frost out. Like, let's get this guy an extra seven five and get him out of here. You know, <laughs> uh, as, as it does not seem like a defense. I mean, honestly, OU should should be able to do whatever it is they want to do and and look good doing it. Uh, and if it's not the case, maybe it's the whole it's a rivalry. You throw the record books out the window type of a thing. Inner sound clip of like the window breaking. Uh, <laughs> that whole thing. Um, if it, if it's a game that, like last year, um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm probably I'm probably just like turning the hat around and thinking, all right, guys, big bucks <laughs> coming up. This is going to be tough. Yeah, looking at here, Nebraska ranks 92nd in havoc overall, and uh, <laughs> like the offense, I think most of that whatever isn't terrible comes from their secondary. Their linebackers and defensive line are getting are are doing nothing in that regard so we've got brent venables deciding to uh house the team an hour away uh what what the hell is he doing and why is he doing stuff like this is he is he adding too much is is he 
mean, is he trying to treat the game bigger than it is? Is he trying to make sure that the the guys know, hey, this team just lost to Georgia and Southern, but we need to add some sense of tension to it. This isn't a cakewalk. I mean, I know it's it's coach mumbo jumbo psychology stuff, but is it worth doing all this extra stuff? Well, like, I mean, what does it mean if they're an hour away? Does it just mean like they got to what leave a little bit earlier than they normally would? I mean, I don't know. That just seems yeah. like maybe mountains out of molehills just based on, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I it will, I guess we'll see, right? Like maybe yeah. they're a little too keyed up, you know? I mean, uh, Venables was definitely very, uh, you know, kind of uh, nostalgic or in his feels about this game, it seemed like uh, during his press conference on Tuesday. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I listened to that. And it, it it made me think, oh, wow, he he, that's cool. Uh, I hope you don't suck. <laughs> that's the only thing I could think of. Anytime he gets really emotional about this stuff, the only thing I can think of is please win. Please yeah. win, because I don't want to have to break your heart. <laughs> not, not that I not not that I matter, but uh, please don't make a Scott Frost you. Like that would be dreadful. Um, how uh, Matt? How does OU win this football game? How you think it? How you think it plays out? Not not your final score prediction, but how, how does right. OU win? Um, if it's a perfect scenario, perfect scenario, offensive line looks better. I'm not going to say perfect because that that's just uh, from what we've seen so far. That I don't. I think that might be out of the cards. Um, but just they need they need to look improved. They need to look offensive line looks improved, establishing some sort of run game. And honestly, like Georgia Southern, they kind of that their quarterback had a day. Like he, he was throwing to some open guys. Now I will say on that like last one of their last drives, they had they made some great plays. Like the quarterback oh, yeah. kind of threw they, it up. They had, yeah, the quarterback kind of threw it up. They had catches. some incredible catches. So like, yeah. um, and I will say like Nebraska had. Uh, two interceptions but that georgia southern quarterback literally both of those interceptions he just threw it up it was like he was playing uh jackpot with his friends outside he's just throwing it straight up and nebraska came down with it um so no i I think and we talked about earlier kent state where jebby jeff levy was and jebby (laughs) jeff jeff levy said that he was uh he was being stubborn i think that's going to not happen again (laughs) if i had to if I had to think, I mean, there were some boo birds that I that I could hear on the ESPN Plus. Probably not a ton. Uh, they're probably it's again like I wasn't there, so I, I don't know. The whole crowd wasn't booing. I know that, but there were some boo birds that uh, I caught in that first half. Like I, I doubt Jeff Levy gets that stubborn again. I, if if he sees that Nebraska can get thrown all over, he's he's just gonna say f it and just just go. And now I'll ask the uh, the OU Baker hater, uh, how can <laughs> OU lose the game since 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 we're in this uh, mindscape of yours, Alan? Uh, well, I mean, you know, obviously turnovers. Um, you know, we haven't really seen a case yet where Gabriel has forced any throws, um, but mm-hmm. at least that I can think of. But you know, I mean, that's kind of been his rep from back in the day. So you know, there's that. Um, you know, there'll be some surprise stuff like a pooch kick, I'm sure, like on a kickoff or uh, something, you know, where they kind of test OU, try to uh, catch them off guard, I'm sure. Some some kinds of trick plays, you know, I mean, you know, if you're Mickey Joseph, you got nothing to lose, right? You hang it all out there. Um, so, you know, stuff like that. Um, and again, you know, maybe, you know, offensive line having trouble communicating when it comes to stuff like uh, picking up blitzes uh, or, you know, that I guess those would be the kinds of things. And then, you know, it just turns into a shootout and, uh, you know, maybe Nebraska has a couple extra possessions based off OU mistakes that they turn into uh, points. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're going to see some onside kicks and pooch kicks. We're going to see some craziness. Whole, I mean, fourth down going for it. I mean, you're right. I mean, you just have to go. I mean, what's the point? You're not coaching to save anyone's job. You're not moving this way. And, and if what we have is right, I mean, again, like we've got a Nebraska bloggers coming out saying Scott Frost was late to all the meetings. He was showing up to practice late and stuff like that. It's like, well. Why weren't if that's all that's true? Why weren't you saying any of that? I mean, because that's like stuff you should say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That always comes uh, out when they fire somebody like yeah. that. You know, I mean, uh, 
It sounds like he was doing his uh, own version of quiet quitting though. Yes. Um, uh, uh, if you guys want some more information on the Nebraska Cornhuskers and who you should look out for uh, Thursday night, I'm recording an interview with a Brian uh, Honas, Jonas. I'm not sure the fastest how to say his name, uh, but he writes for the FB Nation uh, Nebraska uh, blog. He's going to come on and give me some time about 9 p.m. Uh, Thursday, and I'll get that posted up. So again, that's on the Patreon through the keyhole for the $4 tier um, to listen to that interview. He's going to walk us through a little bit about what Nebraska is doing for the coaching search and who OU should be paying attention to on offense and defense um, to give OU fans a little a little perspective of how should we judge this game? Who sh- who's OU trying to clamp down? Uh, and if you also subscribe to that, again, from the top, you get a chance to win uh, two tickets to the OU-Texas game. Um, but now we're going to segue into our final scores. Uh, Matt, who wins by how much? Does OU cover? What's the spread? Before we the start, what's the spread? I, Matt, I, I know, Alex. It's up, yeah, it's it's up to 11. It was like four in the uh, preseason, and now it's uh, OU minus 11. OU minus 11. Um, man, I've been wrong on every single one of these. So <laughs> if you're so if you're listening, fade me, and maybe you want some money. Uh, I do think OU covers, though. Um, I'm going to say 38-21 Sooners. All right, All right, let's see here. The The total on this is fairly high. I think it's in the mid-60s, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of looking at – I think Nebraska will actually put some points on the board. I just – you know, I know that I picked OU to lose this game back in the summer, but having seen what I've seen so far, um, I'm willing to say that – I'm willing to go, uh, go the other way. I think that, uh, you know, like I said, Nebraska put some points on the board – OU just points puts more up. I'll say 38-28 Sooners win. All right. I've got in my uh, brain OU 48, Nebraska 27. Uh, get some points, uh, move, move the ball around a little bit, some field goals and stuff. And I'm still very much so thinking OU wins this game. Uh, I did pick my game as a Kansas State game. <laughs> That's now a night game for OU to lose. Um, um, so hopefully I'm wrong there. Uh, the Nebraska game didn't never really quite worry me too much. It, just because I thought Brent, having played in that game as a Kansas State player, to, to me it's kind of like he would like know it, like wouldn't allow it to happen. But that creates a long Kruger effect when it comes to Kansas State. So <laughs> that's a that's a fear factor I have for that game moving forward. Uh, I think we have them. All of us have them covering. No, I, I'm, I would take the points. No, okay, yeah, I have them pushing, don't I? Forty-eight, twenty-seven. Let me do math real fast. No, no, that's, no, no that's covering. Easy, that's Twenty, easy cover. twenty-one, not eleven-one. Yeah, that's that Hugo. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Southeast Oklahoma side of this. Um, other games around college football. What? What? Uh, what big games or what games are you guys excited to watch? Uh, let's just let's do one each. Uh, you guys excited to watch around the around around the horn, Matt? Please don't sue us. <laughs> yeah, right. Please, please <laughs> do not sue us. Um, I kind of want to see BYU Oregon. Um, yeah. just to see, like, I I really still don't think B, uh, Oregon's that good. Um, so I I don't know. I, I think this might be just because that's the first like two ranked matchup. I think this is a lot of the uh, the cupcakes games for for everyone else. Yeah, I want to see USC Fresno State. There could be a lot of points in that game. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about USC's high-powered offense, that we, which is yeah. you know what we all expected with uh, Lincoln Riley going there, taking Caleb Williams with them and Jordan Addison. But uh, I mean, their defense has been low-key, really, really bad. And uh, Fresno State is a well-coached team that can definitely put points on the board. So um, I am going to be watching that one. Uh, the game I want to watch is just just out of pure uh, joyness of my heart is uh, AM Miami. Uh, I want to see AM lose again, uh, but I also don't think Mario Cristobal is that good of an actual head football coach. So I think you're going to get two big, dumb, ugly offenses smashing into each other. Uh, and I think that might be an ugly football game to watch, but just to see the the, the hatred out of AM fans. Um, and then, uh, then the bonus quickie, I think you, uh, UTSA might put a bit of a scare into Texas more than they want it to be uh, from their letdown and, you know, having like half their team uh, on crutches. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, I think that up. might be one to look at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Well, that's us. That's the that's the that's the public pod brought to you by uh, Vanessa House Brewery. We were there last Sunday. Uh, had a good time. Met Tristan. Sup, Tristan? Woo! Uh, I don't know. If I, were you actually able to hear him on on the podcast when he was talking through my headphones, or is this a weird blank silence? Barely. A little Barely. bit. Oh, yeah, it was, it was very <laughs> quiet. It was very Dang. quiet. Uh, we'll have microphone setups next time. So if you if you guys are some uh, loyal key holders, Patreon fans, we try to be there at Vanessa House after every uh, after every home game to the post game sh- uh, show. I will be bringing a microphone this time. So if you're a fan, you can show up, uh, jump on the mic, tell us your uh, your ins and outs. I think it's fun to have that uh, interaction there. But I think that pretty much sums it up. Did we miss anything? I don't think so. I think we're good, man. Well, then we've got one last thing to do. Matt takes away. Boomer, sir.